0: the ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome today's guest, John Kadoski. John is a PA and works in orthopedic trauma in San Antonio. Today we're talking about skeletal traction, and I had mistakenly said skeletal pin traction, but Skeletal traction is usually, or is done with pens. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Yes. Okay. Could you explain the difference? I a million years ago, I worked as an EMT, and we had this thing called Bucks traction and hair splints and that sort of thing. What's the difference between skeletal traction and skin traction?
1: Well, a a million years later, the uh, bucks and the hair traction are still used, although not nearly as frequently as a million years ago. So you're not that far out of date, Sam. Don't worry. The biggest difference is the transfer of power, the the force applied by weight. Hair traction specifically is the the big metal kind of U-shaped bar that goes the length of the femur and has straps all across it and you grab onto the foot and kind of twist something or pull on a, a, a strap that'll pull that out. It's most commonly used by EMS. Very uncomfortable for patients. It's it's uncomfortable for EMS to apply. It's it's kind of arduous and uh, it takes a lot of hands and it takes a lot of time whenever you're on scene with a obviously significantly injured patient. So it's not used all that much anymore and it, it is not exceedingly effective. Bucks traction is is still used today in the hospital, much more commonly on the uh, elderly geriatric patients who have femoral neck or intertrochanteric hip fractures. We put a little soft egg crate boot onto their foot and we'll hang five to a maximum of 10 pounds off the end of the bed to try and provide some traction to pull that femur, that intertroch, that femoral neck fracture back out to length because also often they're very short and the patient is uncomfortable. So that traction helps to stabilize the leg and makes that patient feel much more comfortable with it on. Got it. Got it. And I remember these
0: hair traction splints trying to figure those out. And I guess a good example, if we could say, you know, other than trauma, some of our dogs that do hip arthroscopies use some form of that, like a traction table or yes. a fracture table to distract the hip joint, and make it easier to get the scope in. So similar kind of apparatus. Would that be fair to say?
1: Yes, absolutely. And we use a traction table in the operating room whenever we're nailing femurs, and it's essentially a ski boot on the foot that pulls the foot through the hip and, you know, can pull the femur back out to length. It The same concept, the uh, hair splint never really gets as much power as what we are finding on those fracture tables in the operating room. And certainly not as much power as what we're getting off of the weight that is hung directly off of a pin that goes through the bone. So there's a lot of force that we're able to apply through the bone on that pin. A lot of this, I I do trauma, but not
0: the kind of trauma that we're talking about today. This is peripheral to my, my clinical practice, but can you differentiate, and I'd ask you about spine trauma, halos and such, but skeletal traction is more for the extremities and the spine is kind of a different ball of wax. Can you talk a little bit about skeletal traction outside of
1: the OR, and and just give us a a little bit of background on that. Sure. Uh, The skeletal traction that I do in, in orthopedic trauma at a level one center is primarily revolving around pelvis, acetabular, and femoral shaft fractures. Years ago, even whenever I started in medicine 20 years plus back, The uh, neurosurgeons and the orthospine folks were still using traction for spine immobilization and distraction of spine injuries. These days, they've really gotten away from that, by and large, because there's been advances in technology and techniques, as well as access to the operating room. So halos and, and other spine traction aren't nearly as common as what they were. And really, the idea behind using traction, specifically skeletal traction, is We're focusing on injuries that are shortened or impacted that we are not able to cast, splint, or brace. So, for example, a tibia shaft fracture does not really need skeletal traction outside of the operating room because we're able to put a splint on that can provide that distraction and keep the bone well aligned. Whereas, if we have a mid shaft femur fracture, there's really no way for us to get a splint or cast or brace proximal to that. To be able to support the fracture to keep that fracture distracted and aligned so that the patient is comfortable and allow it to to not shorten and spasm and things of that nature and and so we use skeletal traction to try and pull those bones back out to length and to hold them there tightly and with bucks traction you can use bucks traction but again we can only use about five or ten pounds because we'll start to introduce skin breakdown Whereas with skeletal traction, we can use 15 pounds, 20 pounds, all the way up to 30 in some instances if necessary. Let's back up just a little bit and talk
0: about some common indications. And you talked about femur fractures and pelvic fractures, that sort of thing. Can you walk us through a little bit about skeletal traction? And you had given me some notes about people using hand crank drills and unsterile drills from a home center. I'm thinking, I don't want to go to that place. I want to go somewhere where, you know, there's OR power and such. So, can you tell us a little bit about the indications, some pins, and just the process of how it works?
1: And you touched on some of this, but, you know, maybe go into it a little bit more detail. Sure. Primarily, skeletal traction is indicated in patients who have mid femur fractures who are not going to go to the operating room, quote-unquote, quickly. And the reason I say quote-unquote there is because that can be variable from center to center for us it's about 2 to 4 hours so if we're going to have a patient with a shaft femur waiting 2 to 4 hours for the operating room we will put in an traction pin if patients have unstable posterior hip dislocations acetabular fractures uh, especially in the posterior wall intraarticular fragments of the hip joint so whenever the the femoral head is dislocating if a piece breaks off and sits in the joint will apply skeletal traction to distract that femoral head away from that that piece, that fragment that's sitting there. And all of that is to try and introduce stability into the hip joint, into the acetabulum, and to distract the femur, the femoral head, from the acetabulum to try and decrease avascular necrosis. Also, there's vertical shear where the whole hemipelvis will be pushed superiorly. Think of someone falling off of a tall building and landing on their feet. We'll use traction to try and pull that hemipelvis back in. And there's a, a lot of ways that centers will apply pins. Probably uh, one of the most common is borrowing OR power, uh, which can be really, really time consuming. And I, I, I uh, want to talk about that a little bit later, just as, as how arduous this whole process can be. There's dedicated ER power in a few centers, but really that's expensive. And, you know, buying these, the striker drills is, is not cheap along with their batteries and then maintaining them. Hand crank drills are still out there. There are some major centers here in the U.S. that are still using hand crank drills at bedside, and it, it takes a long time for a pin to go in there's a lot of folks just going out to Home Depot and getting themselves a drill and using that on patients in the emergency room. That, that happens very commonly. And then there are some very specific systems out there that have full procedure kits that are FDA approved and are meant for use outside of the operating room that are safe and are sterile and can be used on patients at bedside. So far, it sounds like this is kind of a
0: temporizing thing until the patient gets Get to the OR to get more definitive care or more definitive fracture fixation. Are there times where you can use skeletal traction, and you know it's it's not waiting to get to the OR right away? Something that you might use for a longer time.
1: Yes, that is becoming more and more rare. Quite honestly, thirty or forty years ago, specifically before the advent of intermedullary nailing, skeletal traction was really the way to treat a mid-shaft femur fracture. And you would have a patient laying in bed for four to six to even eight weeks in some instances in traction, trying to pull that bone out to length and waiting for the body to do what it does best and put itself back together again. Since the advent of intermedullary nailing, that has really shifted away from being necessary. However, we still do occasionally have patients that Their definitive fixation is skeletal traction, but those cases are extremely few and far between, and mostly because that patient is very, very sick, very, very injured, and they are unsafe to go to the operating room for a large procedure, such as a pelvis surgery or even an intermedullary nailing.
0: Good stuff. I think that's all we got, John. I appreciate your time today and telling us about some
1: level one trauma techniques with skeletal traction. No, Thank you very much for having me. It's a real honor. I, I look forward to doing it again at some point in the future. That
0: sounds great. John, I look forward to seeing you in Denver. I'll be there. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Please follow the Physician Assistance in Orthopedic Surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review.